electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Right now on Last Call, taking back the crown, the MAG-7, reigning again over the markets, but there could be a new name to join the list. Speaking of, Microsoft just did something it has never done before, but what's really behind that historic run? A big splash out of big blue, why investors are cheering after hours. From bad to worse, Boeing shares sinking after a big announcement for the FAA. We will have the breaking developments. Plus, he's loved by some of Wall Street's biggest names, can Dean Phillips keep his long-shot campaign against President Biden going? He is here live. And pay up. A one state may force big tech to come to journalism's rescue. All that and more over the hour. So belly up or buckle up because last call is up right now. All right, good evening here. Good afternoon out west. I am Brian Sullivan. We begin tonight with some breaking news. Tesla investors are losing a little bit of money right now. Stock is down. Tesla tonight warning that this year's sales growth will be less than it was last year. Some big money investors, they may have anticipated this news. Tesla's down 16% so far this year, but as always, context is key. Investors nearly doubled their money in Tesla last year. All right, that being said, let's get more on everything we know about Tesla's last quarter, and what may be ahead from here, Phil Lebeau listening in on Tesla's earnings call. It ended a short time ago. Phil, what were some of the takeaways? Uh, we'll hear from uh, Elon Musk in just a little bit here, Brian. Good news, bad news in terms of the fourth quarter and not such great news in terms of the outlook. Let's start first off with the fourth quarter. It was a miss on the top and the bottom line, not by a lot. 71 cents a share earnings versus 74 cents a share earnings estimate. The gross auto margins, now this is the good news last quarter. They improved, went up to 17.1%. The street was expecting 15.7%. By the way, that's an improvement, 17.1 versus 16.3 in the third quarter. But the outlook for 2024 deliveries, they didn't give a guidance. They didn't give us a number. They simply said notably lower. Why? Because they are transitioning and preparing to ramp up next-generation vehicle production starting at their Gigafactory in Texas. Here's Elon Musk a short time ago. The first manufacturing location for this will be at our Gigafactory and headquarters in uh, Austin, Texas. And then we'll follow that up with other locations around the world. Probably our, uh, the factory we'll build in Mexico will be second, and then we'll be looking to identify a third location, perhaps by the end of this year or early next, um, outside of North America. That is where the next generation vehicle will be built. And by the way, he thinks they might be able to begin production. It's scheduled to start second half of 25. Keep in mind that that's just a projection at this point. This is the other thing that spooks investors right now. They delivered 1.8 million vehicles last year. The street was expecting them to give guidance of at least delivering 2.1 million vehicles. They Again, there was no guidance given. They end the year. 
2023 as the number one EV automaker in the world. They are number one in EVs, but that crown is starting to erode a little bit. Why? Because you've got Chinese automakers, in particular BYD, nipping at their heels. BYD, by the way, topped Tesla in the fourth quarter, not for the entire year, but in the fourth quarter. And Elon was asked about the growth of Chinese uh, automakers and their growth around the world. Here's what he had to say. The Chinese car companies are the most competitive car companies in the world. Um, so I think they will have significant success uh, outside of China, uh, depending on what kind of tariffs or trade barriers are established. Uh, frankly, I think if, if, if there are not trade barriers established, they, they will pretty much demolish <laughs> most other car companies in the world. So they're, they're extremely good. Take a look at shares of Tesla. Again, under pressure, now trading under $200 uh, for the first time in a long time, Brian. I haven't looked the last time that they were trading under $200. But the bottom line is this, when you look at Tesla, yes, the energy storage business is growing. But this question of the Chinese automakers, it's not just with EVs. Yes, they are growing quickly in EVs, but it's all vehicles internal combustion engine vehicles, as well as electric vehicles. We have talked about it at, at, for months. We were over in Europe showing the growth of Chinese automakers over there. They are coming and coming on strong. Now, whether or not you can say, well, that's the reason Tesla is not giving guidance for next year, that, that's too much to say. The bottom line is this. Tesla is facing a slower EV market worldwide, and they are trying to transition to this newer lower cost next generation vehicle that they at this point, Brian, are projecting to begin production on in the second half of 2025. I'm not going to ask you to read Elon Musk's mind. I'm not sure, Phil, anybody could do that. He says trade barriers. Do you think that he is sort of subtly referring to maybe an outright ban of BYD or other China-made EVs in the United States? Well, they're not very big in sales right now, Brian. It's, there's a 25% tariff if you bring a vehicle in from China. So, you know, do, do you want to do an outright ban? Okay, maybe you can do that, but they're not going to be big in the U.S. as long as that 25% barrier is there. Yes, you can bring a Volvo in here, uh, and eventually you'll see some of the Geely Volvo production begin here in the United States. Um, I don't think that he's talking just about the United States. I think he's talking about other parts of the world where they are expanding very quickly. Mexico, Europe, uh, really any country, uh, a lot of these countries have very limited trade uh, sanctions, if you will. And so the Chinese have said, great, we've got all this production and our market has been slowing down over here. But guess what? We can take some of these and start shipping them around the world. That's at the heart of the discussion. And let's not forget other makers like VinFast. They're coming here. They are here, by the way. And I know there's going to be they a lot. They are here. Yeah. Out in California, I believe, Phil, a lot of low-cost competition maybe coming in. Phil LeBeau, appreciate it. Thank you. All right. So while shares of Tesla are stalling out, at least tonight, other Magnificent 7 stocks have been on fire this year. NVIDIA investors, you've made another 24% in just 16 trading days. Meta, Microsoft, Alphabet, Amazon, Apple. They've left Tesla in the dust, which brings up a rather interesting question. Should Tesla be kind of nudged out or kicked out of the MAG-7? I mean, 
Kramer said as much the other night, saying that maybe we need to go from the Magnificent Seven to the Super Six on this, of course, unofficial group. So are Tesla's results a warning sign for other names in the mega cap tech space? Let's talk about it with Victoria Green, Chief Investment Officer at G-Squared Private Wealth Management, also a CBC contributor. Victoria, Tesla's a unique thing. It's not like an Apple or a Microsoft, is it? They make cars. They do, except if you listen to the earnings call today, they talked about everything else except manufacturing cars. They talked about the, the, the new super battery cells. They talked about the Optimus. They talked about AI. They talked about uh, all of these futures, and they gave so vague guidance on, on their cars. They said the Cybertruck maybe will hit 250000 a year, but no no timeline on it. Uh, you know, They talked about their new lower-cost video or car maybe at the end of 2025. They, they pulled their production guidance, and if you look at it, they 94% of their revenues are generated by automotive currently. If they're trying to pivot to this AI company, and he talked about being more of, considered more as a technology company, licensing full self-driving, that's a big shift in revenue. So I think anytime you might have a company going through a little bit of an identity crisis, I get a little bit worried about how much profit can grow continually. Yeah. Do you care? Is Tesla representative of Victoria in any way of the macro market. And I will say this, if you know traders on Wall Street, Delta One traders, all these guys doing this deep stuff, you know, synthetic baskets of options, stuff that 99.9% of America doesn't know or doesn't do. Tesla, they'll say, is the most important stock in the market because they got 3 billion plus shares and so many derivative strategies, option strategies are connected to Tesla. Does Tesla though, in your mind, matter for the overall market? They matter because of their market cap size. They matter because they're big enough and they're in a lot of portfolios, but they aren't the market. And we're seeing that in January. Tesla's down and you're seeing Apple waiver. And I would say it's not necessarily just a Tesla problem. It's a broad China problem. And Apple may struggle with that. We saw DuPont today struggle with China. We saw 3M struggle with China. If you look at the companies that are missing, the 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 factor in there has been slow, slow growth, slow earnings, slow sales in China. And so for me, Tesla's a piece. Yes, it's an important cog, but the market can function without Tesla. I will admit the stock has been a Teflon stock. Absolutely. Every time we think that, oh, this, this is it, they're done, their margins are shrinking, yada, yada, they, they seem to bounce back. But they're breaking some pretty important supports. If they close, I think Fundstrat said you can't close below 206 on the week. I think yeah. 200's a support. They're facing some downward pressure. The market can rally without Tesla. It's been doing it this year. You're just seeing other people pick up. You pointed out Microsoft, $3 trillion valuation. You have other people kind of carrying the bull flag in the tech space. Mm-hmm. And Tesla might have to figure out how it's going to grow profits. It's going to have to deliver something. It needs to deliver technology, which is AI or full self-driving, and not just an just automotive company or else it's yeah. grossly overvalued. Well, the Cybertruck is there. We'll see what happens. By the way, Victoria, I think we had to coin a term, a Tesla stock, something that can batter good who knows okay it's terrible yeah. i know victoria green <laughs> thank you very much i appreciate it we'll see you again soon all right let's take a look at what happened in the macro markets today your stud and dud inside the market the big winner of the day we talked about it last night netflix no surprise there the dud though dupont crashing 14 percent after an earnings whiff and a gloomy forecast blaming weak demand in china by the way do you remember you know last night our dud was 3m also warning about weak demand from China in chemicals. Maybe something big to watch. Companies with a lot of exposure to China, are they at risk? DuPont tonight, 3M last night. We'll see. 
All right, we are just getting started here on Last Call. Up next, a bolt from the blue. What is IBM shares jumping and investors cheering right now? Plus, he is one of the favorite candidates of Wall Street titans like Bill Ackman. Can Congressman Dean Phillips still forge a path forward against President Biden? Congressman Phillips will be here live and unscripted ahead. Hi, I'm Ben. I suffer from a condition called writer's block. It strikes when I'm at work. That's why I choose Canva Magic Write. It works fast, generating texts in seconds, thanks to AI. Common side effects include increased productivity, compliments from coworkers, feelings of satisfaction. Now I can say bye-bye to writer's block. Ask your boss if Canva Magic Write is right for you at canva.com, designed for work. You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new, and it's streaming now on Hulu. Let's get now to tomorrow's news tonight in the blue and yellow colors of our animation are appropriate for our first story. The NFL San Diego slash Los Angeles Chargers. Sorry, lifelong fan. I always got to remember them that way. Reportedly have their new coach. And it is the University of Michigan's Jim Harbaugh. That according to ESPN, Harbaugh coming off a national college title win. And by the way, his brother John is probably going to win the Super Bowl with the Ravens. Now, this is not Jim's first head coaching role in the NFL prior to coaching Michigan he was the coach of the San Francisco 49ers for four years as a lifelong Charger fan. I hope it's a good hire. In the meantime, some fresh intrigue out of the media world. Bloomberg reporting that Skydance Media's CEO, David Ellison, has made a preliminary offer to buy the Redstone family's holding company, National Amusements. Okay, there's a lot here. Who is David Ellison? He is the son of Oracle founder and one of the world's richest men, Larry Ellison. And if you have not heard of National Amusements, don't worry. They are the company that controls Paramount, which owns MTV, Nickelodeon, CBS, CBS News, etc. They also own movie theaters. No word yet on how much Ellison and his company may have offered to effectively buy Paramount. Ellison, by the way, in his own right, David Ellison, a very well-known and successful movie producer. Next up, Hewlett Packard Enterprises says it was hacked last month. Company says hackers got unauthorized access to its cloud-based email system. HP believes the same Russian hacking group that hit Microsoft earlier this month was behind this attack. Also, shares of Las Vegas Sands are up right now on earnings. Casino says it saw a boost in revenue from its operations in both Singapore and Macau. It's been a rough couple years for Las Vegas Sands as it continues to recover from the pandemic and a very slow China recovery. In better news, IBM posting their earnings after the bell today. They killed it. Strong AI demand boosting revenue there. Shares of IBM are popping after hours on the news, up nearly 8%. And by the way, IBM, yep, IBM is at its highest level in nearly 10 years. Christina Partsenevelis is here on set 
with the breakdown. I like that you had to say, yep, IBM, yep, IBM. I just don't, I think we haven't been able to say that. The company was left to waste years ago. And you wouldn't think that given they were the first with their Watson, remember the Watson computer, the the supercomputer? You would have thought they would have been leading this AI revolution. Well, these reports. Deep blue? Exactly. Another example. These are, this report is showing that that transition is happening a little bit later than most. But gone are the days of IBM just being a mainframe hardware company. 75 percent mm. of IBM's total revenues now come from software as well as consulting. And those are the two categories that continue to be a priority for the company and drove earnings. The revenue beat for the quarter, top and bottom line, we go through that. But I also was able to catch up with IBM CFO Jim Cavanaugh this evening. And he said AI is actually really helping drive that business more than doubling quarter. Quarter over quarter, they launched a Watson AI X platform as an example. And so if I if I use the, the fact set estimates, there was a slight miss in software. Red Hat, which is an open source software company, uh, that segment decelerated a little bit. Uh, there was a small miss in consulting compared to estimates, but both of those were partially offset set by strength in infrastructure. Surprising many analysts, this is where it gets a little bit you know, mm. more financy. The company managed to grow their free cash flow to $11.2 billion for the full year. And they estimate another $12 billion for this upcoming year. I asked IBM CFO what actually drove that free cash flow. He said it was a combo of demand across categories and cost optimization, specifically in real estate. I was told that means consolidation of some offices around the globe. Speaking of cost optimization, all of these words that, you know, the lingo that... You said uh, financy. I, uh, yeah, I know that's not a word. That's but, perfect, yeah. but it is now. The lingo sometimes. I, I said Tesla earlier. Well, no, financy, when you're listening to these calls, there's, it's, I wish sometimes, and IBM's great. They're really friendly and they're nice to speak to, but sometimes they use a lot of jargon in calls. And speaking of that, uh, they did mention a $400 million charge for workforce rebalancing, which is just fancy for job cuts. So they did confirm there's going to be job cuts at IBM uh, to the tune of low single digits. So that's that could be, you know, anywhere between like 1.2% and 1.7%. Uh, and roughly, unfortunately, for those employees, roughly, you know, about 3,000, 3,500 uh, just over the next that's year. That's a lot of so, people. Of course, there's a lot of people, which is why we care. And the audience here, could it be somebody affected in that? So that's some in news particular coming out. In particular, because they're right up across the river and up the woods. Precisely. To our monk we go. When we talk about that on air, the stock reacts in a positive way because it's cost-cutting. So it's unfortunate in that situation. And then lastly, guidance, 2024 revenue guidance, mid-signal didness. So they're just reconfirming that. uh, Talked about cash flow uh, and just some improvements in software. So this turnaround's happening all within the last three years. You know, they, they acquired Red Hat, which is this open source uh, firm. Uh, they spun off their IT services business. Uh, They're working on all of their generative AI platforms. And then the thing that they have, too, is consulting. They have so many consultants all around the globe. and so Their many- consultants have consultants. <laughs> but think about how difficult it is to implement an AI system in a company. You go to this consultants to help you through that process. So this is how IBM could benefit from this AI revolution that's happening. Stock has benefited. Like Investors you said, have benefited. biggest in 10 years, right? Highest level in 10 years. It's kind of amazing. Yeah. People were, you know, people I know <clears throat> may have called the medium blue at one point. Did you? I, maybe. How long ago was that? Like 11 years ago. A week ago. Oh. Um, yeah, like 11 years ago. <laughs> that, that's I why. called the bottom. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Christina, I'm thank to save you. you. I appreciate that. Financy. <laughs> it's a word. Still, still ahead. It's a word. One of Nikki Haley's billionaire backers says no more. Plus, Dean Phillips' next movie scored some big time backers on Wall Street in business. But what is the path forward? He is here live and unscripted. Next. Welcome to the Canva guided meditation for stress at work. Impending deadline? 
Generate Canva presentations in seconds. So fast. Brainstorm got too big. Summarize with AI in a click. Click, click, click. Writer's block. Release with Canva Magic Write. Magical. Stress less and save time at canva.com. Designed for work. All right, welcome back. Former President Donald Trump, you might have heard of him, securing victory in the New Hampshire primary last night over Nikki Haley. And now Nikki Haley is reportedly losing the financial support of billionaire LinkedIn co-founder Reid Hoffman, following her second-place finish at the Granite State. So what does this mean for the Haley campaign? Joining us now is CBC.com political finance reporter Brian Schwartz. Brian. Thanks for having me. What does it mean? What, what's, what's, what, is Haley going to lose other big backers? Well, it could be the beginning of some people starting to shift uh, out of the, the su- supporting Nikki Haley. But, Lito, let's be clear. She's got about 17 uh, events coming up. One of them is uh, heavily supported by Wall Street uh, in the next coming days. And it's 17 from now until uh, South Carolina. So she's going to be raising a lot of money. But look, there's clearly, from the reporting I'm doing, some concern by many of her most loyal and wealthy backers about exactly what is the path for her uh, after New Hampshire, after that loss in New Hampshire. Yeah, I think he gave $250,000. I learned that from your story. So I'm quoting you back to you. Uh, the path is not impossible, is it? But I would have got to imagine when the money starts to go away, it's some pretty rich, smart people saying, we just don't want to throw good money after bad, I think. Right. They don't want to light their money on fire. So they're, they're going to be looking at this from a perspective of how exactly can they help Nikki Haley and what impact will that help actually have any you know, impact on, on, her, on her campaign, right? Uh, you know, they can host as many events as they want. Like I said, it's, it's over a dozen now in the coming weeks. Uh, but the fact is, is, w- is that money really going to have the impact uh, when she tries to win South Carolina? It is her home state. Uh, she seems very confident going into that state, despite being down about 30 percentage points to Donald Trump in the real clear politics polling average in, in South Carolina. But still, uh, where is that money going to have an impact? And donors are going to sit back and say, wait, you know, she lost in Iowa. She lost in New Hampshire. She's not a favorite at all to win in South Carolina. Is this money worth putting uh, toward her candidacy? We shall wait and see. Brian Schwartz, CNBC.com political finance reporter. Brian, great stuff. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. All right, meantime, while the GOP race last night in New Hampshire stole the spotlights, the Democrats did hold a primary of sorts. President Biden decided to skip the primary, protesting New Hampshire's decision to stay in its historical first spot on the calendar. Biden did win the primary through write-in votes, but Democratic challenger Congressman Dean Phillips of Minnesota captured nearly 20% of the vote in the Granite State. And Phillips has also received the backing of some heavy hitters on Wall Street and in business. What I'm hugely in favor of and actually coming here right after this interview is Dean Phillips. He's going to meet with the whole organization. He's gone to 26 percent approval or 26 percent of the vote poll in New Hampshire from nothing in a very short period of time. He's someone people need to take a look at. You just hosted a fundraiser for Dean Phillips. I did. What do you think his chances are? I don't think his chances are great, but they're not zero. <laughs> we have to do better than a 82-year-old candidate and a guy with more indictments than I have Bitcoin. The always outspoken Michael Novogratz. So where does the Philip candidacy go from here? Why don't we ask him? We are pleased to welcome back to last call Minnesota Congressman and Democratic presidential candidate Dean Phillips, also a successful businessman. Congressman Phillips, thank you very much for coming back 
on the program. When, when you talk to guys like Ackman and Novogratz, what, what are they saying to you? Why are they putting their money and support behind you? And what questions do you have for them about why they are doing it? Well, Brian, first, thanks for having me. Sure. And I'll tell you, it, it, whether it's Novogratz or Ackman or uh, elderly women who I just sat with in North Conway, New Hampshire at a retirement home uh, or people throughout this entire country, everybody's actually saying the same thing, which is the exhausted majority of this country's had enough. And I think I'm speaking for many and looking at the data, 70% of our country wants neither Joe Biden nor Donald Trump. So we have a delusion going on right now. We also have a two-party duopoly that anybody watching right now who is in business recognizes is not in the best interest of our country. And anything that diminishes or suppresses competition, especially in politics right now, is a real problem. Anyway, I'm thrilled to have their support. Uh, but most of all, it's thousands of grassroots donors from around the country. I start every morning, Brian, by the way, with five and ten dollar donor calls. They're the most beautiful phone calls you can imagine because people cannot believe that a candidate's actually calling them to say thanks for five bucks. And that's part of the problem right now in politics. Yeah, well, it is. I mean, listen, let's be honest. The RNC and the DNC are billion dollar corporations at their heart. Mm -hmm. They employ thousands yep. of people each. They have billion. They're like the NFL in a way. And if you mm -hmm. try to start a competing league, it's going to be very hard to do this. Um, I probably know your answer to this, but I want to ask it because I tweeted about it last night. Congressman, would you support more ranked choice voting among states in primaries? Alaska just went to it. Minnesota, Minneapolis has been doing it for over a decade. Seattle is moving there and there's been rumors that more states will go to that. And for our viewers that don't know what that is, it's not a political primary. You don't have Republicans, you don't have Democrats. Everybody's on a ballot by name only. People mark them off and the top four fight it off in a general election. Would you support more of that across the dial? Brian, I, I cannot tell you how thrilled I am that you just brought this up. I've been a longtime supporter of ranked choice voting, instant runoff I did not voting. know that prior to this. Oh, yeah. From, from, for a long time. And I'll tell you, it's also the state of Alaska has employed it, one of the most independent-minded states in the country. It is the only mechanism by which independent candidates can actually win because it gives an incentive to candidates to broaden their base of support. You can't just win with your 52% of Democrats. You have to extend invitations to independents, and in my case, Republicans. Uh, we employed it in a number of cities in my own uh, district in Minnesota, Bloomington, Minnetonka, others. And I'm telling you, it is not partisan. I hope people look into it because it is probably the only way that we can actually create more competition for the political duopoly. So please look into it. Yeah, I was actually watching Steve Kornacki on MSNBC today. I saw that 8% of people who voted for Trump in the primary actually identified as Democrats. That would kind of eliminate that, I think. Anyway, let's go back to, to money and business because U.S. debt today, Congressman, $34.1 trillion. We're over $34 trillion now. Deficits around $2 trillion. Former Treasury Secretary, widely respected Robert Rubin, today saying that taxes have to go up or probably will have to go up to cover debts and deficits. Your thoughts on why this is not more of a major national story. Well, I got it. First of all, Brian, that's why I'm running for president. We, we have not had a legitimate executive in the White House in a long time. Bill Clinton, the last U.S. president to even have a balanced budget. Uh, it is such an asinine disregard for basic principles and fiscal responsibility. 34 trillion, uh, 2 trillion deficit. Our debt service, uh, as you know, I think we've had about 150 basis point increase in our uh, interest rate. It's going to go from about 400 billion a year to 800 billion a year in debt service, almost matching our Pentagon budget. And now we're officially paying more for the past than we are investing in the future. 
We need an executive in the executive branch complemented with people who understand how to manage not just our finances, but also our agencies. And Brian, you know, we're, we've got so many more problems than people are willing to recognize. And that's why I am doing this. It's time for change. Both Trump added seven trillion to the deficit or to the debt. And now Biden's going to add probably about the same. No regard. And by the way, there's no political reward for responsibility right now. In fact, we're rewarding some of the most irresponsible leaders in both the Congress and, frankly, in our presidential elections. Because if you say anything about cutting spending, they'll say, oh, you want to weaken the military or you want to weaken Medicare. But people don't talk about how Medicare spending per capita has soared. And and maybe we just need better outcomes like they do, by the way, in the Mayo Clinic in your great state. I mean, that's one of the best examples of quality care because it's just there's just so much messaging out there. Anyway, I, I want to ask you about uh, energy policy. It's something that I cover a lot of. There was a study out recently from the University of Michigan and it's called RFF, where they basically said that, you know, we're doing this energy transition, but there's all this tax money that comes from fossil fuels right now. It's just how we're set up gas taxes, oil taxes, et cetera. And that if we just do this rapid transition, all this tax money may go away. Tax money that is relied on by some of the poorest counties in the United States, Minnesota, a progressive state. Right. But I would also argue a centrist and realist state. A lot of wind turbines there. Also, mm-hmm. by the way, how do we manage the energy transition, but Wait, also make big- sure we don't freeze to death and bankrupt counties? Well, it's got to be gradual. We can't impugn uh, hardworking Americans uh, that, that would make them it would cost more money. By the way, we already have that problem right now. The gas tax provides a lot of resources to our country. If you drive an electric car. And you're not paying them. And by the way, back to the, and to the executive branch in terms of tax revenue, when I'm president, we're going to start with zero-based budgeting. I want to engage one of the international consulting firms to assess every one of our federal agencies to make recommendations to our Congress and to the executive branch about how we can deliver services better. If it's not uh, returning our, our ROI, we cut it. And if someone else can do it better, we outsource it. As for this transition, look, we didn't leave the Stone Age because we ran out of rocks, Brian. We came up with better ways to do things. We know what they are. We should subsidize uh, things like we have, wind farms and, of course, solar. It's also time for next generation nuclear. It is the only way that we can actually do this. And by the way, it's not just in the U.S., as you well know. It's got to be an international collaboration to reduce greenhouse uh, gases and, of course, reduce fossil fuels. And then lastly, it's a national security issue because ultimately, you know this, we are enriching Iran, Russia, the Saudis. It's time that we become more self-sufficient. That's the best case, but we can't do it in a way. I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, Iran's foreign accessible currency reserves are over 40 billion. They were 15 billion under full sanctions a couple of years ago. They were selling maybe one ship of oil a day. Now it's probably three to four to maybe five on some days. That is filling their coffers with money to arm the Houthis and do other bad things. If elected, I know it's a long shot, but hey, let's be optimistic for you and your campaign. It's not an endorsement. If elected, would you actually reinforce, double down on those Iranian sanctions because they've been just printing money the last couple of years? Yeah. You know, my my ethos, uh, both in my business life and, of course, in my political life, uh, is to first present an opportunity to reset. Now, we should do so with the Chinese, of course. I believe in reciprocity. And I think with the Iranians, too, that would be my first uh, offering, if you will, uh, to have one opportunity to reset this relationship uh, if that is not taken advantage of. Of course, I think we've terribly mismanaged how we apply our sanctions, when we apply them. And the fact of the matter, Joe Biden, a good man, 
Uh, first of all, he's going to lose to Donald Trump. That's the main reason I decided to run. But he's been in Washington 50 years, Brian. He was the chairman of the Foreign Relations Committee in the Senate, eight years as vice president, three years as president. He's got a long time in Washington. And a lot of the issues that we are facing now that are great challenges in the Middle East and Eastern Europe, of course, you know, have happened under his uh, tenure in Washington. It's time for a new generation, a new outlook. And I think it's time for new leadership, frankly, from the West Bank to the West Wing. I, I know we're tight, guys. We'll kill something else. Taylor, I got to ask you, do you think it's possible we're going to have a presidential cycle with no elections or no debates? Excuse me, because Donald yeah. Trump's been ducking debates. Joe Biden's well, been ducking the debates. Mm -hmm. and, and my sources have told me, and, I, and by the way, Dick Durbin floated this the other day. I tweeted it out uh, a while back that people I know in D.C., pretty high levels, are saying, don't expect any debates because they're going to just basically say, well, I'm not going to degrade the office. Is it possible we get an election if it is between the former guy and the current guy, Congressman Phillips, with no live presidential debates? Not only is it possible, I think it's likely. Donald Trump won't debate in the GOP primary, nope. of course. Ducking him. Joe Biden won't debate. He won't do town halls. He won't answer questions. He won't show up in front of voters. I'm now here in South Carolina after, of course, I'm, by the way, a nice 20 percent last night in New Hampshire. I've never been in a business that generated 20% market share in 10 weeks, but that's another story. Uh, the answer is sadly, there probably will not be debates. And Brian, I think that should be an absolute oh. basic expectation in the United States. My party right now, suppressing both debate, voters and candidates. I think it's appalling and we got a lot of change. And I hope those watching right now will wake up and see what's at risk and please vote in the primary. Of course, I'd love it if you vote for me, but please vote in primaries because we've got to seize this back and ranked choice voting, as you mentioned earlier, is one way we can do it. Interesting times that we live in. Uh, Congressman Dean Phillips, we appreciate, listen, we appreciate you coming on, speaking to the media live. We did not have a call before this. You had no idea what I was gonna ask you live and totally unscripted. And we certainly appreciate it. We need more interviews like this from everybody. Thank Dean you. Phillips, thank you, Congressman. You will. All right, coming up, a major announcement from the FAA and Boeing on the MAX 9 crisis. These developments are just happening. We're going to bring Phil LeBeau back, and he'll tell you about them next. All right, well, today the FAA announced that airlines can begin bringing grounded Boeing 737 MAX 9 planes back to service, although only after they undergo a thorough inspection. But the FAA is also halting production expansion for the MAX jet. That is sending Boeing stock down a little bit, about 1.5% after hours. Let's bring in Phil LeBeau back. Phil, I, I saw the headlines. I, I thought they were positive on the, on the face of it about coming back. But then the production thing kind of stuck. How do we read this? Uh, positive for the airlines, especially United and Alaska. In fact, United putting out an announcement within the last half hour saying that They've already got teams set up and ready to look at the MAX 9s that have been grounded. And they believe that they could start to feather some of these grounded MAX 9s once they do the work to ensure that they are 100% safe. They believe they can do that and have some of them start to fly again starting as quickly as this Sunday. Haven't heard yet when Alaska expects to get its MAX 9s back into service. But look, this shouldn't take a long time uh, for those two airlines. So it's positive for them. Not positive for Boeing in regards to expanding the uh, MAX production. So here's the announcement that came out from the FAA. The FAA is setting rules for ungrounding the MAX 9, essentially revolving around making sure inspections are done a particular way and that the airlines can guarantee that the planes and the, the plug door is exactly as it should be. Meanwhile, the FAA is not allowing Boeing 
to expand its max production. Critical, critical, because this is the cash cow for Boeing, and the plan is to grow production this year and next year. We'll see how that changes. We'll talk about that in a bit. And then finally, Senator Maria Cantwell uh, is calling for hearings when it comes to Boeing. And speaking of Capitol Hill, that's where Boeing CEO Dave Calhoun was today to meet with Senator Cantwell and other senators on Capitol Hill. We fly safe planes. We don't put airplanes in the air that we don't have 100% confidence in. I'm here today in the spirit of transparency to, number one, recognize the seriousness of what you just asked. Number two, to share everything I can with our Capitol Hill interests um, and answer all their questions because they have a lot of them. Meanwhile, the Seattle Times out with a report today essentially saying that the max door plug that was ripped off the Alaska Airlines flight, it was installed wrong as part of work that was done on that particular plane. It was installed wrong at Boeing. That's essentially what this report says. So we reached out to Boeing to see what they have to say about this. The company saying, as the air safety agency responsible for investigating this accident, only the U.S. National Transportation Safety Board can release information about the investigation. As a party to this investigation, Boeing is not able to comment and will refer you to the NTSB for any information. By the way, that NTSB investigation, it continues. They have teams that are out in the uh, Seattle area working in terms of trying to understand exactly what happened with that Alaska Airlines plane. And as you take a look at shares of Boeing, I told you earlier, Brian, that the production is key. They're at 38 maxes a month right now. That's their monthly production. They cannot raise it until the FAA says they can. The plan was to go to 42 and then eventually up to 50 per month by 2025-2026. Does that timeline change now? They report fourth quarter results and give their guidance next week. We'll see if they have to change that. Also, don't forget, tomorrow afternoon, big interview that you don't want to miss. It's with Ben Minicucci. CEO of Alaska Airlines. This is a CNBC exclusive. We'll be talking to them and to Ben, I should say, about Alaska's Q4 results. And more importantly, the impact of this entire incident, depending on how quickly Alaska can get its planes checked and back in the air, they may be without them by, what, three weeks. And I know that doesn't sound like a lot, Brian, but in the airline world, that's huge. And it's going to have an impact on the first quarter for them. Phil Abode, doing double duty tonight. We appreciate it, Phil. Thank you very much. All right, so we've talked at length about Boeing's woes, but what really can it do, especially in the near term, to try to turn things around? Joining us tonight, Yale School of Management Senior Associate Dean Jeffrey Sonnenfeld, also a CBC contributor. You are a, a dean of the School of Management. You get David uh, Calhoun, the Dave. CEO of Boeing. <laughs> there you go, in a room. What is your one or two best pieces of advice for Mr. Calhoun? Uh, he's uh, good for him for being transparent and out there. We thought two years ago he did a remarkable job of stabilizing things, profits, cash flow, getting China back on board as a customer, working this out with the regulator, getting the max back up in the air. But that was then. Now it's not so so good. He's had a, you know, significant challenges where Boeing is going. We can see that good he was, you know, it's great that he was transparent in Congress today. But there are a lot of questions that have to do with the loss of credibility that Boeing is is uh, is, 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 is certainly blowing its brand. And we're seeing how uh, Airbus is making up for that five years in a row. 
that uh, Boeing is uh, five straight years in a row that, that Boeing has been, you know, producing more than Airbus and in orders. And secondly, they've got a huge trouble, you know, with the board governance. They created that. You remember, Brian, this board safety committee. Most of the committees knew there's just a, the chairman of the board of Boeing is the only person who's still on this new board. But this new board is filled with great people that have all the right credentials in aviation and, and, and inspection and all the rest. And yet it's still not working. There's something wrong with this special safety committee in terms of the process. And the third thing is, yeah. why are they still outsourcing like this? Their supply dependent is is very narrow supply chain management. So they get stuck. They should have never sold off Spirit Arrow back in 2005. They could buy it for $3 billion or less right now. And it's causing them a bad problem because they're not able to manage their supply chain well. And they also don't have good accountability. When Collins messed up yeah. with the Max uh, with the Max problem with the MCAS system years ago, they took responsibility for it, but they didn't have control over it. They need multiple supply chain sources. That's a big problem. Accountability, continuing quality problems. So that's the issue. They've got an operations problem. They have a governance problem. And they have yeah. a competitive problem. Class is in session. Uh, Jeff, we got to leave it there. A little short because I went long with Phillips. It's on me. We'll get you back on again soon. <laughs> My fault. I apologize. No, Thank it was you. great. Thank you very much, Jeff. Appreciate it. All right, Microsoft getting a taste of the $3 trillion club, but what exactly is Microsoft? That's next. All right, welcome back. It was a big day for Microsoft and its investors. It briefly crossed into rarefied air, a market cap of more than three trillion dollars, a close slightly below that. Only Apple has ever been above that amazing mark. Microsoft has come a long way from the days of the, you know, Zune music player, Clippy, and Windows 95. But what's really driving this run? Let's bring in The Verge editor-in-chief, Neelay Patel. And listen, Neelay, I'm, I'm, I'll email you on Outlook. I use Excel, believe it or not. Uh, AI, I got the chatbot. Microsoft Edge is a great browser, but three trillion? I mean, what is Microsoft at its core today? Yeah, this is a great question. I've had the opportunity to interview Microsoft CEO Sachin Adela many times over the years. And one of my favorite conversations with him was in 2015, when I actually asked him, why does Microsoft exist? And he looked at me and said, we build things so other people can build things. And this mission at the center of the company means they are extremely focused on being a platform company. On um, Yes, providing Excel, which, by the way, almost every app that you use can probably be replaced by Excel, which is very funny, um, but also providing these huge <laughs> platforms like Azure or now these huge investments in AI. And they don't get distracted by building things that don't turn into opportunities to become platforms. So you will know Microsoft did not get distracted by, say, crypto, but they were all in on AI at the beginning because they saw the opportunity for other companies to build other products using their infrastructure. Stock up over a thousand percent since Satya Nadella took over, but Steve Ballmer is still one of the richest men in the world. Square that for me, Nalay. Well, it's pretty good if you can leave the company, uh, still own a huge chunk of it, and then hand it off to a successor who uh, gets rid of all of your ill-fated decisions. You know, Microsoft lost on mobile. Like, they just didn't get it right. Ballmer had bought Nokia. That was a disaster. Nadella just ended it all. He just shut it down. And he did it pretty ruthlessly. He did it pretty coldly. And he said, look, we lost in mobile. We need to make sure we're never in that position again. And so unlike yeah. all the other big tech companies that are doing layoffs because they had all these boondoggles, Microsoft has that sort of insecurity about mobile at its core. They're going to win. They're going to be one or two in every market they're in, or they're going to walk. And I think that has led them to a position of extreme strength right now. Truly amazing. Three trillion today. Nalay Patel, The Verge, thank you. 
All right, coming up, could big tech, we just talked about it, be the financial savior of local journalism? Bethany McLean on set for that. Layoffs in the local media landscape are getting ugly and local journalism taking the hardest hit. Yesterday, the L.A. Times announcing massive cuts to its newsroom, the latest in a flurry of layoffs across the industry. But one California bill trying to stem the tide wants to force social media companies to pay journalists for the use of their content on social media platforms. Could this help save local journalism? Let's bring in one of our favorite people, Vanity Fair contributing editor Bethany McLean, also a CBC contributor. A lot of people don't care about local journalism. I get it. But local journalism, the death of it may cost everybody money. I agree with you. It'll increase corruption locally. And even more, it will prevent national stories from being written, too, because the dirty little secret of a lot of national outlets is that they got their stories from local papers. And so those are the stories that will never be uncovered if local journalism continues to decline. Yeah, it's like, why is this bridge project taking a year longer? Why is this politician who makes 80,000 a year driving an S-Class Mercedes? Nobody's going to be asking those questions and credit ratings could take a hit and taxes could go up. But this bill isn't going to do anything. Okay. I'm sorry. Oh. <laughs> I thought you were going to come on and say it would. I was hoping- For once, I'm endorsing a California policy. Okay, so I have a utopian plan that might that might help save local journalism, but this isn't it. All you have to do, uh, Australia tried to do the same thing. Canada tried to do the same thing. A similar bill has been sitting in front of Congress for a couple of years now. It just doesn't get passed. Google and Meta lob- lobby against it. They talk a big game about supporting local journalism, and then they lobby against it, and it doesn't get passed, and whatever ends up happening gets completely watered down. So- If it did get passed, would it help? You're saying it won't help because it's not going to get passed. Right. And even if it did get passed, the problem for local journalism isn't so much the advertising. It's partly the advertising going to Google and Meta, but it's also the lack of classified ads. And that's a bigger problem. Well, that's what papers used to be. They they knew neutral neutral stories to sell as many ads as they can. So believe me, I'd like to blame Google and Meta for everything that's wrong with the world. I I everything. I don't think we're (laughs) blaming them, but... If local journalism goes away and we can people at home are being like, there is no local journalism. Like I get whatever your argument, if it goes away, we're all screwed. Nobody's minding the minders. I agree. Corruption's going to be worse than it is now. I agree. A hundred percent. I think it's really important to save it. I'm just not sure that this bill, even if enacted, is the method to saving it. Do you know how steep the revenue decline is? I looked at this and to, oh, to come on the show. Re- revenues from advertising and circulation were over $50 billion for, for newspapers in the early 2000s. It's now just over $10 billion. I mean, that is a dramatic collapse. And I don't know that any bill is going is, is, is going to fix this. Yeah. I'm with you. It should be. I have more hopes for maybe some of the large, large language models um, as, as the future turns toward AI beginning yeah. to pay journalists for their work. But I think... Or that- monitor them. Listen, I know people at home are saying, well, whatever. Like, listen, I've got editors. I've got bosses. If I say something wrong or stupid on the air, they're going to call me out on it. I'm going to issue a correction. I mean, citizen journalism, I love it, but they don't do that. There's nobody calling people out. No, I agree. And local shame is what matters in a community because on a national level, it's just too big. And so it's the fear of a local politician or a local business leader being being scorned by his community that kept people in check. And now it's all going away. But uh, we'll get you back on soon. Bethany McLean, one of our favorites. Thank you very much, folks. That is it for Last Call tonight. We'll see you tomorrow. CNBC leaders, World Bank President A.J. Benga is next. 
CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.